and glorified in the text today. In your name we pray, amen. So if you would, if you take your Bibles and join me in Galatians uh, chapter number two. It's been two weeks since I've had the privilege of preaching on a Sunday morning. I'm so grateful for the opportunities that we've had to have Steve and Rhonda Nichols, our missionaries to South Korea. And then last week, Sam Siegford, one of our own uh, students at Liberty. And man, what a, what a blessing it was to have uh, both of them here these last two Sundays. And I want to say thank you for the way that you spoke into Sam's life. I, I know that he was encouraged. And I also believe that we were encouraged as well, uh, very much so by what Sam did. And, and I would, would want you to know that uh, those seeds of encouragement that you planted will continue to grow for years and years to come. I told you last week, I remember being a 21-year-old uh, guy and someone came up to me after church uh, when I spoke for the first time on a Sunday evening and, and said some very encouraging things to me. And I still remember it to this day, uh, 26 years later. And so your, your words of speaking encouragement to people are so valuable. Today, though, we're going to be back in Galatians as we're studying through and going to get to some really, really powerful texts. I'm so excited. And the, the, the overall theme of our message today, uh, it's, not, it's not original, but I ha I'm sorry, I don't exactly know which book I read that uh, came across this because it was, it, was, it was actually probably about two years ago, but came across the quote that said, the crucified life, which is what we're going to talk about today in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. The crucified life that I live should resemble the crucified Christ. And that's, that's where we're going to kind of find our, our footing uh, today. And if, if you're with us for the first time, we've, we've already covered in this uh, book of Galatians that Paul has written this as a letter, uh, a defense of the one true gospel. Because there were false teachers coming into the church who were teaching the wrong thing, but causing the people to believe the wrong thing, which then led to the people living the wrong way. What we believe will always affect how we live. And this is, this is why I want to really, really encourage you to, while you, while you grow on your own, be careful of the voices that you're listening to. Um, what is so prevalent in our world today is what's called the prosperity gospel, where, where the, the preachers and teachers will tell you that God, if you're living the right way, God is going to promise that means you're going to have health and wealth. The prosperity gospel is so damaging because it's so contrary to the word of God. Because if I'm living the right way and all of a sudden my mother has cancer, how does that, how does that measure up? If I'm taking a stand for Jesus and I should be uh, receiving health and wealth, my stand for Jesus costs me friendships, costs me a promotion, may even cost me a job. How does that go together with prosperity? No, no, what the Bible tells us, what Jesus said to his own disciples was, hey, don't be surprised if you are hated, if you are rejected, if you're reviled, if you're persecuted. Don't be surprised at that. They did it to me. Paul wrote, the sufferings of this present world world are not worthy to be compared for the glory to come and while that gives us great hope of the glory to come hey he's telling you you are going to suffer now it's not just going to be great health and great wealth 
We've got to be real careful because it's what we listen to that will determine what we believe and what we believe determines how we live. And this is what Paul is, is, is addressing. These false teachers were coming into the churches that he had planted and they were trying to bring a mix of Judaism into following Christ. You have to follow the holy days. You have to um, know, you have to be able to be um, circumcised and you need sacrifices and you, you need to follow the dietary laws. And Paul is saying, no, that is a false gospel. Let's talk about what the true gospel is. And we're entering near the end of, tw of, of chapter two. But before we go on and get into some new material, I just want to back up two verses. And we're going to go back to verse number 15 and verse number 16, if you would. Verse number 15 of Galatians chapter 2. I'm so sorry. I must have left off 15 to 16. So I'm just going to read it, read it to you. Galatians chapter 2 verse 15 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now this is a really important verse, although it's just a small one. Because we're going to come back to it. Paul was, was stating here, not that Gentiles are sinners and Jews are not. Paul's referencing that Jews are born into a community where the word of God is, where sacrifices of God are made, and that means atonement with God can be found. Gentiles are born by birth. They're born into a system where they don't have the word of God. They don't go to the temple to worship. They don't sacrifice, and therefore they cannot be atoned. They cannot have a right standing with God. We're Jews by birth. We have a chance to be right with God. We're not like these Gentile sinners who don't even have a chance. But then Paul goes on in verse 16, and he says this, and I apologize for not having the slide, but it says this, Yet we know, this is Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And pause here again. Paul's saying, we're Jews by birth. We have the law, but... You're not justified by the works of the law. He'll say it three times. It's not justified by works of the law. Twice he says we're justified by faith in Christ. Now, again, if you weren't here with us, justified would mean that God declares a righteous, a sinner to be righteous through their faith in Jesus. And justification, it's a, it's a legal term where God the judge says, my judgment is you are justified. You, as a sinner, I'm declaring you righteous. And every time I think through this justified and then this, this legal term, and I've, it's a story that I've shared with you before, but, but, but just briefly, if I can recall it, I, I, when I started in Bible college and we had a preaching class to go to, uh, the second semester of our preaching class, we had to preach in three different public arenas. We had to preach on public transportation in Chicago somewhere, or a train or a bus, we had to preach on a street corner in Chicago somewhere, and we had to preach in a bar. Well, the first two, that's okay. Like, you could say what you need to say and run, right? Uh, but when you're in a bar, you kind of, I'd never been in a bar in my life. I was scared to death of this. So I went with, a, went with another guy that was in the preaching class, and we, and we were told, you know, go to the owner, ask if you can get permission. And so we did that. And so the whole plan was he would tell this story, and I would bring the spiritual application. 
I'm, I don't know if they could see, but I was shaken. The entire, I'm 21 years old. I've you know, grown up in a Christian home. I've been very sheltered. And walking into a bar was not... I, I pictured these big burly guys that all had leather vests and, and mohawks. And they, they are drinking their beer. And as soon as they saw me, they'd throw their beer. They'd take the darts and they'd start throwing darts at us. That was just what I pictured would happen. And that's not at all what, what took place. But... He, he told the story, and, and what he said is, the story goes. There was this young man who was, who was arrested for reckless driving one night, and he spent the night in jail. And the next morning, he was brought before the judge. The judge looked at him and said, young man, are you guilty of, your act, of what's, with the crimes you're accused? And he said, yes, sir, I am guilty. Then he said, I will levy a fine of $250 against you, wraps the gavel, and cases closed. The young man's ushered out through the hallway, but the judge stands and he says to the courtroom, uh, we're going to take a quick recess. He stands up, walks out his own door, unzips his judge's robe, sets it on his chair, and goes to the hallway to meet the young man that he had just levied that $250 fine against. Puts his arm around him and walks into the, church walks into the, walks into the court clerk. Writes a check for $250 out of his own checking account whispers a few words into the young man's ear and walks away and somebody stopped him and saw all that took place and said what what are you what, what what just happened he said well that young man was my son and i'm a just judge so i i he's guilty so i had to give him the penalty that he was deserving but but i love him so i wanted to come out and i was gonna pay the fine for him and just tell him remind him that i love him in spite of what he did and then that was that was a story and then i got up and said yes but the love of god is so much greater and what jesus did for us in jesus or for what god did for us in jesus christ god the just judge had declared that the penalty for all sinners was death and being a just judge he would hold us all to that penalty but being a loving Father, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down, and, and he died in our place. And what makes what God did for us so much greater than what this man did for his son is if you went to this son's record, you might see paid in full, but you would also see his crime, reckless driving. And what Jesus did for us is he didn't just come down and look at our sin and write paid in full. He didn't just erase our sin and take it away from us and make us just as if I had never sinned. No, what Jesus did was he came down and he paid the price. He erased our sin to take it upon himself and then he gave us his testimony. And if you look at my record today because of Jesus, it doesn't say paid in full and it doesn't say sinless. It says perfectly righteous. That's what Jesus did for me. That's a one-time moment. That is not something I earned. That is something that was declared by God, who was the judge. And he said, you are justified. And that's the amazing message that Paul wanted his Galatian believers to understand. Like, no one is declared righteous because you keep the law. You are declared righteous because God sees your faith in Jesus, his son. And because of that faith, he declares you righteous. And that faith unites you to Jesus. So when the father looks at you, he sees Jesus. Oh, 
That's good news. I'm glad that when the father looks at me, he doesn't just see me. He sees the righteousness of his son applied to my life. That is good news. Praise the Lord. Verse 16 is is really amazing as we talk about justified by faith. But we're going to go into three verses, verses 17 through 19, that if you just read them with a quick cursory read, it would be really confusing. Right, Troy? We, we were doing our Bible study, our home group the other day, and, and uh, Troy, Troy mentioned on like one of these, like, this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I was like, I know. Uh, so let's talk about these verses that are a little bit, little bit difficult to understand. Verse number 17. Remember what we're following. You're justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 2.17. But if, our in, if, our, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners— Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Okay. What does that mean? If I'm trying to be justified, is Christ a servant of sin? And and it's it's hard to understand. So I'm going to give you two other translations to look at that I think will will help us understand. In Galatians 2.17, in the NIV, it reads this. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we... Jews. Now that's important. We Jews. So what Paul's saying, he's going back to that Jewish thinking of verse 15. Hey, we were born in the law, right? We we're born in the law. So we have this atonement with God. We Jews, if we find ourselves among the sinners, wait, wait. The sinners were the Gentiles. If we who were given the law find ourselves with these sinners who were without the law, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? And Paul against? Absolutely not. So, so we, have, we have one more little bit of understanding, but I want to take you to the New Living Translation, which I think really brings some clarity. Verse 17 says, But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Here's what Paul's saying, as much as I can understand, Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not the biblical scholar that a lot of other people are, but here's what he's saying. We were Jews and we have the law. But Paul, you're saying we don't need the law. We only need Jesus. But if we only follow Jesus, aren't we then abandoning the law? And if we're abandoning the law, aren't we now sinners? So is Christ then leading us away from the law? And Paul says, no, absolutely not. You know, just because we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that we abandon holiness. We're following Jesus, it doesn't mean we dismiss the law. But rather, following Jesus means we look to Jesus and not the law as our means of holiness. I don't look to the law anymore of what God wrote to make me holy and whether I can complete it. I look to Jesus and what he did and what he fulfilled for me. He is my way and my means to holiness. And I look to the spirit of God that Jesus promised to all believers when he goes back to heaven. I'll send the spirit. We look to the spirit of God now that lives inside of me rather than the law that's outside of me to guide me on how to live so paul's trying to make it very clear as we follow christ we're not abandoning 
the law, we're just not looking to the law for holiness. We're not looking to the law for guidance. We're looking to Jesus, and Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit who will convict us and who will lead us in the paths of life. And I think, how awesome is this? And and I know it's hard to grasp sometimes, but how awesome is this? We have the Spirit inside of us as believers, which is far greater than a law that sits outside of us. I can walk away from this Bible every morning. I leave it on my desk. I don't walk away from the Spirit. And I don't look to the law and fulfillment of the law as my holiness. I look to the righteousness of Jesus alone as my holiness. And let me give you just a real short illustration. We have, if you look outside the doors in the lobby, you'll see some gifts out there. It's called the, the Secret Sisters, our, the ladies of our church, many of them to to enjoy some community and fellowship. They'll, they'll uh, on, in January, they'll fill out a questionnaire that says what their likes are, what their hobbies are. Then they exchange it secretly. And throughout the year, they do nice things for one another and leave it back there. And so every time that Jamie comes in and leaves a, a gift bag for Allison Seal, oh, I am, I just ruined it. I am so sorry. Uh-huh. My bad. Uh, every time, every time that every time Jamie brings a bag and sets it outside there, and it's really not you, Allison. I was just messing. Uh, what she probably did, although I didn't ask her, what she probably did is she went to that paper to see what this person liked, so that she could go find what they wanted and bring it to her. You know, she doesn't do that for our family, though. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, and, and it worked so perfectly, but yesterday she came uh, home and she had a gift, or she had something that she had bought at the store. Actually, she picked it out and Troy purchased it because he's such a nice brother, right? Um, for Trinity, and it was, it was a little Marvel, uh, Marvel soccer ball, I think, but, but here, here's, the whole, here's the whole point. Jamie doesn't need a list to know what people she knows and loves want. But she does need a list for people she knows but maybe doesn't know quite as intimately well. So what does the law of God help us do? Well, the law of God helps us know what God desires, but as we get to know God more and more, we have the Spirit inside of us teaching us more about God, so we don't need to look at a list on how to please God. We have the Spirit working within us, showing us and telling us, this is what God desires for you to do. See, following the Spirit doesn't mean I live apart from the law of God, but rather I live in communion with the God of the law. What's more important? To read and obey or to enjoy communion and love? The law offers me knowledge. The Spirit offers me relationship. Verse 18. Paul says this, again, a little bit of a a cryptic verse. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now from the NLT, again, I'm going to make this because I I think it provides a really clear foundation. He says, rather, this is Paul speaking, rather I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. Simple what Paul's saying here. Remember in verse 16, he says, you're not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Paul's saying, if I know that I'm justified, not by works of the law, but by faith, if I go back and try to 
keep my right standing with God by works of the law and not by faith, I'm basically trying to rebuild the system that I knocked over. How, how foolish would it be? And yet, do you know, there's so many Christians who find themselves living this type of a life. I, am, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. My only hope is my faith is in Jesus Christ. That's my only hope for eternal life. Jesus alone puts me in right standing with the Father. But I sure better do good things to keep that right standing with the Father. No. Jesus puts you in a right standing with the Father. And faith in Jesus keeps you in a right standing with the Father. Do good works matter? <laughs> Absolutely. Holy living and good works has an essential part in the life of a believer, but they are not our work, they are not our way to salvation. They are what comes out of salvation. That's what Paul's don't go back to the good works. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Again. So it seems a bit strange. Through the law, I died to the law. Look, look again at the New Living Translation, which opens it up a little bit more. It says this. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. And Paul's saying that I, as I tried to keep the law perfectly, I kept failing and so I would feel guilty, and I'd feel ashamed, and I'd feel condemned. And Paul came to this realization, keeping the law does not make me righteous. I have to take my attention off of keeping the law and onto loving God. I think, I think this, this little parallel may help. If, and every one of you men may know this, and your wives make you a to-do list when they are gone or something like that. Just, just, just take for a moment. If Jamie was going to be gone for a day and, and had this list of things that she'd like me to do, if I ignored the list completely, would she feel loved? No. We're not looking to ignore the law. We don't want God to feel like it doesn't matter. But if I did everything on the list, and when she came home, I was at the door saying, here's your stupid list. Everything's done, and I hated every moment of it, but it's what you wanted to do. Like, not would she feel loved by that? Uh, no. So, so what about this? I start doing the first thing on the list, and the first thing on the list is to put some pictures up in the hallway. So I start putting these pictures up in the hallway, and while I'm looking at these pictures, I just start looking at the pictures. Oh, I remember that memory. I remember when those kids... When the kids were little and we went to Disneyland, oh, oh, this is, man, I have such a wonderful family. God, thank you for blessing me. I, you know what? I have not, I have not been as kind to Jamie as I should be. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to get her a Diet Coke because I know that's what she likes. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write her a note and tell her how appreciative I am of who she is and what she does. She comes home, and I'm, I got two things done on that long list, but I meet her at the door with a, a Diet Coke and a love note, tell her how much I appreciate and love her, but babe, I didn't, I didn't finish the list. You think she's going to feel loved? 
do you think God gave us the law so we could finish it so we could feel good about it? Do you think God gave us his law so we could, we could complete it so that we could stand before him and said, I did it? No, no, the entire law is wrapped up in the word love, right? What Jesus said, hang the whole law on the prophets. Love God and love those made in the image of God. Love your neighbors. Love God. You start living a life that says, I, I want to love God. Your Bible reading will move from being a chore like mine absolutely used to be. I hated that Bible reading chart because when I missed it, I felt guilty about missing it. I don't use a Bible reading chart anymore. I read one chapter a day and I take my time with a pen and I read one chapter a day and if I happen to skip a day, which I try very hard not to, but if I happen to skip a day, which I do, I just go to the next chapter. I don't have I don't have a piece of paper staring back at me showing me guilt that I didn't read the Bible. So now I got to skip as fast as I can through those chapters to catch up so I don't feel guilty anymore? Is that what is that what God wants? Or is it just slow down and read the word? I used to dread, I'm sorry I'm a pastor. I used to dread Sundays. Ah, oh, church again. Now, I can't wait. I look forward to this gathering. And I know there's many people who don't feel that way. It's, it's a duty to them. It's a checklist to them. I love getting to see people I love. I love praying with you. I love singing with you. I love praising and worshiping our God with you. I look forward to that. I, I, I don't look forward to times when you have loved ones who die. I don't look forward to that, but I step into those moments as a shepherd and I revel in those moments and coming alongside when you are hurting because I want you to know you are loved. I used to find Bible study, I'm just going to again be honest with you. I used to find Bible studies so absolutely boring. Now, I get so excited about what I find in the Bible. And, and like, I'll tell my wife, I have this group of guys that I, I share with almost every day uh, on the phone. And I'm like, you dude, this is what I've got. I was in Joshua 6. This is awesome. It's so exciting, but it's, it's not a chore. And I'm not trying to get you to do what I do. I just want to tell you, it's, it's moved from the fulfillment checklist into this aisle. Oh, love I really feel like that's what God wants more from me as a follower of his to love him and be devoted to what he has for me rather than to say I did it again I did it again I did it again see living for God can either be wrapped up in completing a list or knowing a friend and a redeemer King who loves me. Oh, I didn't get to Galatians 2.20 and, and I feel like I'm, I don't have the time to, to give it what it really needs because to read the words I have been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live 
a Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't, I don't want to take this amazing verse and, uh, and just be quick with it. So I'm, I'm just going to close. My closing had everything to do with being crucified with Christ, though. <laughs> so, so forgive me. I, I guess I just want to encourage you to allow what you do with the Lord to be a relationship and not a ritual. And as we sing, Christ, the sure and steady anchor. I know it's the third song in the pattern of threes that we do every Sunday morning. All right, let's get through this so we can take the offering, so we can then have the sermon, so we can go home, because it's what we do on Sundays. Uh, how about this? In just a moment when we stand to close with this final song. That as we stand and as we sing, as true worship, that we picture ourselves as a, a battered boat being hit by wave after wave and some of those waves are death as we're talked about some of those some of those waves are doubt some of those waves are disappointment some of those waves are just the struggles that come after day after day and i'm this i'm this boat that keeps getting beaten and 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 it's taken a hit and those waves are crashing over but but what i what i'm finding out is this this boat because of the strong and secure anchor that's held on tight this boat's not going anywhere i'm the boat and i'm the one rocking and rolling i'm the one moving but my anchor that's christ he's holding on tight he's holding on to me and he says i got you I'll be your sure and steady anchor. So when, when the doubts of life come and when the waves start rolling, you're going to be okay. And one day they'll calm. And I'll still be here. And we can move somewhere else and we could drop anchor somewhere else and you'll face another storm, but you know every storm that comes you can face it because I will always be your sure and steady anchor. Because I, I feel like, Aaron, I think the Lord used you to remind us all that we are, we are a hurting church, but we have a redeeming God who is not going anywhere. He's ready to walk with us. And we just follow him wherever he goes. Would you pray with me? And then worship team, would you come and let's, let's close with that song. Father, I, I, don't, I don't really understand everything that Paul was trying to do in, in this letter. And Father, it seems like the, the the more I study, the more I realize just how little I can fully understand who you are and what you've done. But Lord, you, you give us this, these beautiful truths. 
That it's not, it's not in what I do that, that brings you pleasure and joy. It's, it's, it's what I believe. It's, it's, I believe in you and what your son has done for us. And Lord, I, I know that you know that the, the hearts of our church, Father, in many areas, well, there's, there's, been, there's been a lot of death these last two years. It's a lot of loss. There's a number of people on those walls in the hallway who aren't with us anymore. And there's an emptiness that can't be filled. But Lord, we have an anchor that when we're tossed, and when those waves are crashing, Lord, we hold to you. Actually, we don't hold to you. You hold to us. Father, I think of, of Lynn who lost a dad recently. I think of Wayne who lost two brothers in just a, just a span of about 10 days. I think of Jason and Kim who are, whose mother is suffering terribly right now. And Aaron with a grandma. And Lord, I, I just spoke with three people in the hallway who who are facing physical ailments that are really, really tough. But we can't make it on our own. But we don't have to. Because you have united yourself to us in faith. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would not be a church that is interested in going through the rituals of Christianity. But a church that truly desires a relationship with Christ that it's not a focus on the law of God, but it's a focus on the God of the law, the one who loves us and who gave himself for us. Father, if there's anybody here today and they don't, they don't know you as, a, as the true deliverer and the true promised Messiah, the one who came to save us from our sins by laying down your life and defeating death, Lord, I pray that today would be the day, today would be the day that they would be introduced to Jesus and to know, know you truly and have a real relationship with you. And Father, that, that those who do know you rekindle a fading relationship or, or rejoice in a healthy relationship that we just want to get closer to you. Would you work that in our hearts? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, can I just ask, I don't know where you're hurting, why you're hurting, but your heavenly father does. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit as a comforter to you. So would you talk to him? Would you open your heart to him? Would you find yourself renewed in the power of the cross? That means death. But as we'll get to next week, it also means resurrection. If you don't know Jesus as your own, I'll be at the back door when we leave. I'd love to share that with you. Would you stand with me? Let's close.